There you go. I was going to say, y'all can sing. It is it's just a joy to be here and to, uh, to sing God's praises with you, to, to see what, what the Lord is doing here. I, on behalf of, of Klon and, and Deepak and, and really our whole church back in Washington who has been praying uh, for you regularly, um, we just want to say thank you. You guys have been super hospitable, and uh, we, we have been blessed by our time, so um, thank you to the leadership team here and just, just to this congregation. It is, it is sweet to see what God is doing uh, here in this part of the world, and uh, we, uh, we have grown to, to, to love you guys, and we'll continue to pray for you, and um, yeah, so we just want to say thank you. Before we go to God's Word, why don't we, why don't we pray once more and ask His help, and then we will, we will turn and hear from Him. Father, for those of us who are well aware of our proneness to wander and leave the God that we love, we understand the weight of some of those songs that we have just sang about boldly being able to come to the eternal throne where you, the the Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light abides for all of eternity. And we who are rebels, liars, deceivers, that You would, would say, come boldly in My Son. And Father, we, we thank You for Christ. We thank You that, that He is our, our High Priest. And that before the throne of God above, that we, we can come and, and say thank You for who You are and plead with You to give us more of You. And Father, I pray that this morning that You would give us more of You. You would fill us with Your Spirit. That You would open our eyes to see Your Son and His glories and and to see more of You, our Heavenly Father. Father, I pray that this morning that You would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from Your law. I pray that as we read Your Word that, that You would give us eyes to see You would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to believe Your Word. Father, I pray that You would protect us from the evil one. You would not allow him near, that You would not allow him to to profit in our lives in any way, but that You would protect us and guard us. And particularly now, as Your Word goes out, I pray that it would not return void. But I pray that You would You would make people be born again this morning. That You would unearth sin in our lives. That You would encourage us. That You would give us a glimpse into what it is that You are calling us to do as men and women who follow after You. Show us what it means to be disciples that make disciples. Empower us with Your Spirit to do this which You've called us to do. In the name of Christ, amen. 
It was, it was like everything that I had ever been taught was a lie. I, I wasn't sure who had, had told me these things or how I had come to believe the things that I believed, but it was, it was like all of it, all, almost all of it was, was a lie. I thought of I thought of sex as as something that was that was just just fun and that the more I had that that the better it would be and that it didn't it didn't really need to, to to wait for marriage but that that if this it's the here and the now so let's enjoy it that turned out to be turned out to be a lie I, I thought about I thought about money as being kind of the secret to life, and that if I just had enough, that I would finally have that peace and that security and that, that, that freedom that I had, I had been looking for. But that turned out to be a lie, too. I, I saw religion as, as something that, that, that was fine for people who needed it, and, um, but it wasn't really something for me. If that, if that worked for you, that's fine. But for me, I, I was kind of okay in, my, in and of myself. I, I viewed God as kind of a, a grandfather who is in heaven, who, who only existed really to, to help my dreams and goals come true. I viewed, viewed heaven as this place where I'd you know, probably have little wings and sit on a cloud with a harp and just kind of do whatever you, you do when you look like that and... Um, I thought about hell as just being kind of a, a big keg party with all of my friends and, and just kind of, just, just maybe a place if it existed at all. I, it, it all turned out to be, to be a lie. You see, I, be, I became a Christian when I was 21 years old. And I, I remember when I began to first read through the Bible... And to see truth and how it, in, it encountered my, my heart which had been filled with, with lie after lie after lie. That I had, my whole life I had been deceived into believing lies about what this world was like and, and who God was and, and who I was and, and why I was even here. I began, began to see that that there, there was truth and that there was a God and that there was a purpose in this life and that, that all the things that I had thought, that they were, they just, they just weren't true. And then by His grace, He didn't just leave me alone with Him and His Word, but, but God began very quickly to bring other believers into my life to help me to see it even more and more. I remember... Uh, when God, about three months after I became a Christian, God brought a, a guy named Shelby Abbott into my life. And I had been struggling with, with these sinful habits and trying to, trying to get rid of them and trying to, to put my old life away, but I just I couldn't seem to do it. And I remember Shelby said, how about me and you? Let's, let's meet once a week. And let's read through God's Word. And, and I don't remember a lot of the things that he told me, but, but one lesson he taught me very early on that has stuck with me was, Never give the devil a chance. Never give the devil a chance. And I needed to hear that at that time in my life because I kept putting myself in these stupid situations and kept falling back into sin. And God used that man in my life to help me. And then, then right after that, I, I, I met my first pastor. 
uh, a guy named Tommy Nelson. And this, this guy knew his Bible better than I knew my own phone number. I mean, he would just, he just quote the Bible, and I was like, oh, he has answers. And I would, I would like a nomad, follow this dude around everywhere. I would, wherever he went, I would, I would go for, for hundreds of hours, I followed him. I said, can I come to every Bible study you taught? And I just soaked up God's Word, and I learned more and more about who this God was. And about that same time, I was, I was leading a Bible study, because I was starting to learn these things, and I was like, I've got to tell somebody if this is true. So I started leading a Bible study at a nursing home. And, um, and it was a really great place to start ministry because nobody remembered my name. They all forgot what I said. It was, just, it was, it was a really good training ground for ministry. So I was, <laughs> we were there, and, and while I was there, I met, I met Mama Ruth. Mama Ruth was a 99-year-old woman who had come to know Jesus when she was 14 years old. She had walked with God for 85 years. I just, I just fell in love with her. And I remember she, when she used to not be able to come to Bible study anymore, and she would call me into her room, and I'd go in there, and she'd, she'd always have these little life lessons. And she was so gentle. She was like the velvet brick. She would just, she'd be like, Garrett, here's some truth. Bam! And I just, <laughs> but do it in that way that you're just crying, but you're like, can I have another, please? And... I remember this one time, Mama Ruth, and her wheel, she wheeled over, and she pointed to a, a picture on the wall of a man. She says, Garrett, that, that was Fred. He was my husband for 60 years. Garrett, she said, in life you can use your words either to, to help people or to hurt people. She said, Fred never hurt me with his words. And if God ever gives you a wife, use your words to help her and not hurt her. I needed to hear that. And God has brought that back to mind through my marriage. And I haven't done it perfectly, but, but old Mama Ruth's over here at me, you know. <laughs> and praise God for that. And then... After that, I, I began serving as a pastor for a number of years, and, and during that time, I, 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 had, I had two men come into my life, a man named Reed and, and a man named John, and both of these guys came kind of at, at, at a critical point in my life when I was, I was beginning to live a little bit of a hypocritical life, where I had some, some hidden sin that I was, I, was, I was ashamed to confess, and those men came in my life at the right time and helped me to see that I can't be a hypocrite. That if I'm going to be a, if I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going, to, I'm going to represent Christ, that I need to take off the mask and bear my soul honestly before God and before other people. And I, I think God used Reed and John to save my life, my marriage, and my ministry. I praise God for those men who came in and said some really hard things to me that I needed to hear. And today I, by God's grace, serve as a pastor alongside Mark Dever and the, the elders of Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And I've, I've been able to see what it means to be a leader who, who isn't worried about building your own kingdom. And who isn't worried about who gets credit for anything because it's all about Christ. And I've learned what it means to, 
to, to, to shepherd a flock and God has, and He's put me in this church where, where members care for one another and they, they pray for one another and they talk about the sermon and they, they, they confess sin to one another and encourage one another and build each other up. And, and I look back my whole life and I see how God in His grace has marked my life through discipleship. The discipleship has been it's been one of the sweetest blessings that I have known. Having believers in my life, and, and by God's grace, me being able to pour into other people's lives, I can tell you countless stories of the way that God works through discipleship relationships. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to come to God's Word and, and to hear what He says about what it means to, to be disciples that make disciples. And, and how we might, in the same way, be be. be Marked by people pouring into us or, or us pouring into others and, and very likely both. So if, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible and you have one of the little uh, bulletins, it's on page 8. The text is or I think you'll find it up here on the screen. In case you aren't familiar with the book of 2 Timothy, it's, it's written by a guy named Paul. Now Paul, Paul used to be a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians. He killed Christians. Because he thought that what they were doing was blasphemy. But God, God showed him grace. And he showed him who Jesus was. That he wasn't just a man, but that he was, he was the God-man who came and lived a life that we could never live and died the death that sinners deserved and rose from the dead. And he... <laughs> He changed Paul's life, and Paul went from being a persecutor of the faith to one of the greatest proponents in the history of the church. God used him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And one of the people that he encountered along the way was this guy named Timothy. He was, he was a young man that, that, that Paul encountered early on and shared the gospel with him, and, and, and Timothy believed. And, and then Paul poured his life into Timothy. He took him everywhere with him. He took him on, on, on trips to go share the gospel. And, and Timothy was around him all the time. And, and 2 Timothy is, is Paul's final letter in which he, he, he tells Timothy, who's now become a pastor, hey, this is what the gospel is and this is how the gospel should mark all of our relationships. And particularly, what we're going to look at this morning, the relationships within the church. With that in mind, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2. Paul says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In these, these brief two verses, we get a glimpse into biblical discipleship. We see that the discipleship isn't, isn't simply some kind of church program or new kind of like contemporary buzzword about what Christians are supposed to be doing. It's, instead, it is God's plan to pass on truth from generation to generation to generation until Christ returns. Discipleship is... It is God's strategy, as it were, to reach the world. So what I want us to do in our time together this morning is, is think of, of two points that come 
or two principles that come directly out of these two verses. They are that the disciples are to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus and that disciples are to make other disciples. Let's look at the first one. Disciples are to be strengthened by the grace of Jesus. Verse 1 again, Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've, if you've kind of been around a church for a little while, most of the time, and this is, I know this was really about the first five or six years of my Christian walk, when I thought about the word grace, which simply means a free gift, it means we get something that we don't deserve, I always thought of grace in the context of what somebody needed to become a Christian. I thought of it in light of that reality that all of us are created to worship God and to obey Him, but that all of us have turned away from that God. That we've said, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and whether, whether it's been through, um, through kind of crazy lifestyle of, of, of drinking and drugs and, and, and uh, immoral relationships and all those kinds of things, and maybe even murder, or whether it be somebody who through religion or just trying to be a moral person has tried to, to keep everything looking right on the outside, wherever we fall in that, that the reality is that all of our hearts have turned away from that God. And we've resisted Him. And that the reality is that because God is holy and because God is good, He doesn't just wink at sin. God isn't that grandfather that I thought He was that just says, oh, don't worry about it, you guys. Like, that's not what God does with sinners. Because He's good, He will judge sin. And that, that's bad news, Okay? That's bad news for, for rebels. Because that means that there's a day coming when every single person who has ever lived will stand before that holy God who, who we have no right approaching. And, and every evil word, every evil motive, every evil action, everything, our whole lives will be unveiled before the One with whom we have to deal. And if you're standing there by yourself trying to say, oh, I'm really kind of a good person, actually. I prayed a lot, or I went to church, or I went to do this, or I did that. And we start trying to, we're exposed as liars. And we will be condemned forever in a place called hell. But the good news, the good news is that God, He didn't leave us that way but that He sent His Son, Jesus, who came and, and lived a perfect life, one of full obedience with, with only holy words and only holy motives that, that completely obeyed God in all things. And then He died on the cross, and on that cross took the wrath and the judgment that, that sinners like us deserve. And then He rose from the dead and called for everyone to turn from their sin and to trust in Him. And that, and that whoever would do that, that God would extend grace. That He would give them what they don't deserve, which is forgiveness of sins and a relationship with the God that they were created to know. And that is good news. But, but in our verse, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a pastor. This guy's a Christian, and he's, he's been a Christian for a while now, so why, why would Paul tell Timothy to be strong in the grace of Christ? 
Well, because, and I really think it took me about seven years to realize this, seven years into my Christian walk, that, that we never stop needing God's grace. That, that we, we never graduate from the gospel. That as, as Christians, whether we're a pastor like Timothy or whether we're, we're normal people, because pastors aren't that normal, so whenever, or, or like just normal people who are living lives trusting Christ, that we, we never graduate from the gospel. That we, we never stop being weak, nitty, needy sinners who, who turn away from God or are prone to wander and leave the God that we love. We never, we never graduate from needing help from God. We are constantly in need of God's grace, whether we've been a Christian for 10 years or 50 years or 85 years, like Mama Ruth. We are always in need of the gospel. And that, that's good news. Because it would have been bad news if if Paul would have said there in verse 1, you then, my son Timothy, get in the gym and eat some protein and be real strong and and give it all you got. That'd be a bad verse 1. Okay? Because that would be just set him up for failure. For him to go out in his own strength and try to carry out this commission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and pouring it into other people's lives and trying to do that all in his own strength, he would have been setting him up for miserable failure and just defeat and constant discouragement and frustration. And, and most of us, well, I'd say all of us who have walked with Christ have had seasons where we're relying on our own strength rather than Christ, and we know how weary that is. He says, oh, there's good news for you. It's called grace. Be strengthened by His grace. Because Christianity is not just some kind of, it's just not a, another self-help religion. It's, it's not what it is at all. It's, instead, it's a relationship of grace with God who gives us His Spirit, who enables us to do what He's called us to do. It's a relationship where we constantly are drawing upon His grace. Now, most of our translations don't bring out the, the fullest sense of, of this, this command here. The, the command to, to be strong, it's, now stick with me for a second, it's, it's in a present passive. What that means is this, a, a command that's given in the present means it's something that's supposed to keep on happening. And a command that's a, a passive, what that means is it's something that happens to you. So, what, what this is saying is, keep on being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's a continual thing. It's not just this one time, but it's a constant drinking of God's grace. Keep on allowing God to strengthen you with His grace, Timothy. Come to Him. Be strengthened by Him. One of the first verses I learned as, as a Christian was uh, John fifteen five. Where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that, that verse, it, it, it highlights the same exact picture here. That, that as a Christian, that we, as disciples of Jesus, that we... We we are to abide in Him. We're to remain in Him through through faith, continually trusting Him, through 
through obedience, living out the things that He's called us to do, through, through prayer and coming to Him and saying, Jesus, I need You. I need Your help. Strengthen me. Give me grace. Help me to, help me to hate sin. Help me to love You. Jesus, bring people around me to help me. That's how we abide in Him. And, and Jesus says that if, if we abide in Him, that we will bear much fruit. That our, our lives will be overflowing with, with, with spiritual life to where we will, we will be able to love others with a love that we don't have in and of ourselves. That we'll be able to, by God's grace, forgive others and not be just riddled with bitterness and, 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 and resentment. There's a relationship that Timothy is called to cultivate ongoing. Keep on drawing from the grace that is in Christ Jesus and be strengthened by Him. But for what, what purpose? Why? Why is He to continue to, to, to do that? Well, certainly on the one hand, so that we just we know our Lord and love Him. But Christianity isn't just sitting around about just sitting around and just kind of loving Jesus and doing nothing. There's, there's a mission that we are a part of, which brings us to our, our second point. That Disciples are to make disciples. Disciples are to make disciples. Look at verse 2 again. Paul says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. In, in this verse, Paul is, is, is showing Timothy about what it is that he's supposed to be doing. That what it means to be a Christian is that we... We follow Christ and draw upon His grace and then we take the truths that we've learned and we pass them on to other people. That we aren't an end in and of ourselves, but that we, we, we pass it on. This is called discipleship. That we are disciples who make disciples. That's what, that's what, that's what we're doing right now. Remember, if you were here last week, we talked about the Great Commission. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus says, Go therefore and make Disciples of all the nations. As followers of Jesus, we are disciples who are to be making disciples. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, last week we did mention that, that evangelism, evangelism is the first step in the discipleship making process. That it's, it's when we help people who don't know Jesus understand what it means to come to know Jesus. Telling them that there's a God and that we've rebelled against Him and that that Christ came and died and rose from the dead, if we will turn from our sin and trust in Him, that there's a new life that He gives. Forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. That, that's part of evangelism, where we tell the good news of the Gospel. But, that's, but once someone comes to know the Lord, we don't just stop, but we're to grow. We're to mature. We're to press on into the image of Christ. And that's what discipleship is all about. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? I think that as we look at these, this verse here in verse 2, we can kind of piece together a strategy for discipleship. Now I'm going to read verse 2 again, and, and what I want you to do is I want you to count how many generations are mentioned here in this verse. Okay? The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. How many did you get? Four. Very good. Okay. Four. You've got Paul, 
who then gives it to Timothy and those who heard, and then Timothy is supposed to give it to some guys who are supposed to give it to some other guys. There's four generations in view in one verse, which just kind of comes in and just, just knocks the concept right out of the park that, that Christianity is just about all me and my little relationship with God, this consumeristic mentality that just says, well, just come and feed me and feed me so I can just get big and spiritually chubby. Like, that's not, that's not what it means to be a mature follower of Christ. No, there's, there's a much different view here. Now, now Paul, was, he was an apostle who received teaching directly from the Lord, and he had also been poured into by Barnabas and uh, a lot of the other apostles. Paul is what we would call a mature believer. Okay? He's kind of the picture of a, a mature believer. Um, he walked with God. He knew the Scriptures. He loved Jesus. He hated his sin. And he lived a life that was rooted in the Gospel. But Paul didn't, he didn't walk with God alone. He poured his life into Timothy. Timothy was this young man whom God was working in, and Paul basically took him under his wing. And, and, and Timothy followed Paul around, and he heard him teach the things that he taught, and he saw him live the way that he lived. He took him on mission trips, all these other things. Um, Timothy was Paul's disciple. But that's not the end of it. The biblical model for discipleship is... <laughs> That, that Paul pours into Timothy, and then Timothy does what? He passes it on. Now some of you are thinking, he's repeating himself. I am repeating myself, because repetition is a key to learning. Repetition is a key to learning. Repetition is a key to... See, it works. So that's why I keep telling you that we're to be disciples who make disciples, because we really forget that. We just kind of get coasting through our Christian life, doing whatever we do, and we forget, oh, I'm here for a bigger purpose. I'm a disciple who's to make disciples. We get distracted so easily. So it's on purpose that I do that, okay? Um, and this is, this is God's strategy to reach the world. That the gospel comes, and then it goes, and then it goes, and then it just keeps on going. And I tell you what, for somebody who's, who's been walking with the Lord for a little while now, it is, it is the craziest and most amazing thing to step back and just see somebody who I got to share the gospel with, who came to the Lord, who then has become a pastor, who's teaching somebody else, who's teaching somebody else, who's teaching somebody else. And you can just see this line, not of like what I've done, but what the gospel's done. And it just comes in and it just kind of wrecks habit and people's lives and changes everything and then goes on to another person. It's just amazing. It's amazing to watch. This is God's strategy to reach the world. So how does this help us think about what it means for us to be disciples that make disciples? Well, I'll give you a couple things. First of all, we should always have a Paul. I'm going to suggest that we should always have a Paul in our life. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go friend, find a friend named Paul, okay? But, but what Paul represents, a, a mature believer, somebody who's been walking with the Lord, who, who, who's maybe a little bit further down the road with you, or at least in the same same kind of maturity that, that you are. Preferably somebody who's maybe a little bit further down the road, though. And I'd say that this, this Paul should be somebody who's, who's dedicated to pouring into your life. Who's there, like Paul was for Timothy, who's, who's teaching them how to read the Bible, how to, how to think about confessing sin, how to, how to, how to wrestle with, with, with thinking about time or money or your spouse or your singleness or whatever it is. There's somebody who's helping you to, to walk with Christ. Do you have somebody like that? 
Do you have a, a Paul, as it were, in your life? Somebody that you could point to and say, that person is being intentional with me. Now, I mean, this is assuming that we as Christians come to church, we sit under God's Word, that we're in a community where we love each other, and that is, that's assumed for Christians. But I'm talking about within that community, within this community of your church, that you found someone who you say, that guy, or a few ladies, that girl, is somebody who's pouring in to me. Do you have somebody who's intentional and, and committed to doing that? Now, there's an important thing to keep in mind for this person who's serving as, as the Paul, as it were. Um, that that person's role as someone who's discipling you, <laughs> they are simply servants who are teaching you more about Christ. That's, that's their role, is to help you learn more about Christ. Think, think about what this same Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul knew something very important. He wasn't here to, to make disciples of himself. He wasn't trying to get everybody to just think like him. He was trying to help people look to Christ. And, and that should mark us if we find ourselves to be a Paul, which I think at some point we all should. Um, or we're, ser- we're serving as that, that we, we need to have the mindset of John the Baptist that, that I must decrease and that He, Jesus, must increase. Let's look to Christ. Let's seek Christ. Let's follow after Christ. That should mark those who serve as Paul's in our life. Make much of Christ, not much of ourselves. How do you find such a one? How do you get one of these? Um, do you go on Paul.com and, and hope? Ooh, there's one. Okay, how, how, do we, how do we do this? Well, first, I'd say we, we pray. We pray and say, God, help me to find the right person to come into my life who can teach me more about you. God, bring this person. I mean, that's, that's how I wound up sitting under Tommy Nelson and then Mark Dever. I mean, I, I prayed for years. Actually, in regards to Mark, I prayed for, for a, my whole time as a pastor. I prayed that God would bring somebody into my life to show me what it meant to be a pastor. And after seven and a half years, God answered that prayer. And he brought other people along the way, certainly, but pray and ask God, who do you have? Secondly, watch. Watch. What I mean by that is, as you live among the life of the church, watch people. Not creepy stalk, but like watch people, okay? Watch them and, and see who, who's living a life that, 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 that resembles the gospel. And not, not a perfect person. If, I mean, if you're looking for a perfect person or a perfect church, just, just stop, okay? Because it's not going to ever happen. There's one perfect one. His name's Jesus. He's coming back. Let's get ready, okay? In the meantime, we're a bunch of sinners running through this thing together, okay? So when we're looking for a Paul, we're not looking for this perfect person. But we're looking for somebody that we say, you know what? From what I can tell, I can learn a lot about Jesus from that person. So pray and watch and then go ask them. Call them, email them, tweet them, text them, whatever you got to send. I don't send a pigeon over to. I don't. However you want to do it, go to them. Take that initiative and say, "Okay, here's the deal. I've been praying that God would bring somebody into my life to help me learn more about Him. Would Would you be interested in in, in maybe meeting with me and let's 
Let's, let's do some discipleship. Well, maybe once God brings that person to your life, how, how long do we need somebody like that in our life? Maybe not that one particular person, but how long do we need to have a Paul in our life? I'd suggest until we see Jesus. I think we should always have a mature believer around us, pouring into us and helping us. We never graduate from, being, from needing to grow in Christ. I remember at seminary we had a, a professor, Dave and I went to seminary together, and uh, we had a professor named uh, Pro- Professor Howard Hendricks, and he, he was talking about discipleship one day, and he started talking about the guy that was his Paul. This 90-year-old guy, he was 80, he was talking about this 90-year-old guy that he would meet with regularly. And I remember one of the students was like, huh? They're like, you're an 80-year-old seminary professor. Why do you have somebody who's poured into you? And I just, I just loved his response. He goes, because I need to grow in Jesus. He knew he never graduated from the gospel. And now eventually you're going to outlive everybody, but you can still have people around you who are mature that can pour into you. We should always be open and looking for that kind of thing in our life. We should always have a Paul. Secondly, we should always have a Timothy. We should always have a Timothy. Now before, I, I'm just going to give my little, my little footnote right here that there are times and seasons when you're going through really hard things or maybe you've just become, you know, I mean like, you've been a Christian for like eight minutes, okay? So like there's, there's, little, there's seasons where, where having a Timothy and pouring into someone else maybe isn't the best thing, but I would say that is by far the abnormal The normal Christian life should include having somebody that you're pouring into. A Timothy. Now, if it's a girl, it probably wouldn't be Timothy. It would be a Timothette. I don't know. You're looking for a girl to pour into. But, But we should always have somebody like this. We are disciples who make disciples. And we should always have somebody that we're coming alongside and helping them to grow in the gospel. Now, How should we select our Timothy? Look again at verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable or faithful, depending on your translation, men who will also be qualified to teach others. While we're looking for somebody to pour into, we should look for faithful, reliable people who we think are going to be able to, to pass it on, pass these truths of the gospel on to other people. And, and as we, we seek to find a Timothy, we need to be, to be wise with who it is that we choose to invest our time with. Because life, it's a vapor. It is so quick. I mean, we just got here last Wednesday and now we're leaving. You know, I mean, not this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before. We have it so fast. This year I turned 35 and I realized, you know, if I might be halfway done my life. Like it, it just, life goes so quickly and in light of that, we need to be, we need to be wise with who it is that we invest our time and, and attention to. Now, all Christians should all, we should always be patient with those who are weak. We should always seek to help those who, who maybe don't appear like, oh, they're going to be the next greatest thing. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. We're looking for simple faithfulness. Somebody who says, I don't know how I'll do it, but I'm here. Let's, let's, try and, let's try and make this thing happen. That's, we're, we're looking for just an, an available Christian. And, and so a, a couple things. Look for somebody who has a desire to meet. 
You don't want to have to get somebody who you've got to drag in every single time. You, like, let's learn about Jesus. Oh, like you, don't, you want somebody who's, who's hungry to learn more about Christ. Look for somebody like that. Pray that God would bring somebody like that into your life. Pray for somebody who's available to meet. Somebody who, who's able and willing to make, make time in their schedule to, to, to spend time together. Pray for somebody who's characterized by humility. Somebody who wants to learn and wants to grow. It's been, a, it's been a joy for me this week to watch just discipleship around me. Like, for instance, Klon and, and Deepak. So Deepak has been pouring into Klon for, for a, a while now. How long, D? A couple years. So a number of years he's been pouring into Klon. And Deepak's a full-time pastor, so that's kind of what he gets paid to do. But Klon is, as he would say, he has a, a real job, like a normal job. Um, so he, he spends time with Deepak. And D pours into him, and this week it has just been a joy for me to sit back. And I haven't been there for all their meetings, but I, this week, have been blessed by the fruit of Deepak's labors in Kalan's life. That God has taken the gospel, and he has blessed it, and, and now out of Kalan comes, like, wisdom and stuff. It's amazing <laughs> that God, God, like, works through such a frail man, you know? I mean... <laughs> uh, it's, when you're up here, you can kind of do that stuff. So I love you, brother. But, but that's, what, that's what God does, and I've been able to see that. And I've been, I've been able to, to see what God's doing in this congregation, to see how the elders here have been pouring into to other men, and how it sounds like soon there's, there's three candidates who, who are coming before you, Tom and Frank and Eric, and how they've, they've been poured into, and now they're pouring into others. The gospel's alive, and it, but it's not just among like leaders. I, I've heard story after story after story of the way that, that you guys are pouring into one another's lives. How you're reading the scriptures together, how you're praying with one another, how you're confessing sin to each other, how you're building each other up. It's just, it's been, it's been sweet for me this week to come to another church and just to see God doing the same thing that I see Him doing back home. Because discipleship is, it's the way that God takes the gospel to the, to the ends of the earth. Now, for most of us, when we think about finding a Timothy and pouring into them, you kind of feel like, like a, a parent who holds their, their kiddo for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? I remember when I, I had my first child, and I'm holding, and I'm like, what do I do? I don't want to break it, you know? I remember like, they, they told us, they, we went out to the car, and in America we have to have car seats, and like the nurse made sure that Eden was buckled in, and uh, then she walked away. And I remember going, like, where are you going? You need to come with us and teach us. Like, is there a book? Like, I don't know what to do with this. Hi. You know, I mean, and oftentimes when it comes to discipleship, like, we can feel the same exact way. Like, who am I to offer anything to anybody else? I'm all kinds of messed up. How am I supposed to pour into somebody else's life? How, how, how can I do this? I don't even know what to say. Listen, please. Jesus calls us to be disciples that make disciples. And when Jesus calls a disciple, he doesn't like go out and find like the most qualified people. God, God is glorified in weak, needy, frail people who say, I need to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help me, Lord. I can, I can, I can read a chapter of the Bible with somebody and then we can talk about what we learned and we can pray together. In your grace, I can, I, can, I can do that. You don't have to be some like Bible wizard. You just got to be 
willing. Someone who says, yes, Lord. Now, if you truly want to be a faithful disciple maker and you don't know what to do, this is where, go to your elders. Go to them and say, I want to be faithful to Jesus. I want to make disciples. Help me. Tell me what to do. Their job, their job isn't just to do it for you. Their job, Ephesians 4.12 says, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Their job as elders is to help you to be a faithful disciple maker. Go and ask them. As a pastor, no pastor ever is upset when somebody comes and says, I want to obey Jesus, help me. Like that's, that's dream job, okay? That's what we're looking for. So if you want to be faithful to this, come and talk to them. Be a disciple that makes disciples. And, thirdly, always have future generations in mind. Always have future generations in mind whenever you're doing discipleship. Because one of the humbling realities for us is that we are going to die. I don't mean to like ruin the party, but like it's, it's going to happen. All of us are going to die. And that is such a humbling reality. And, and God has said, in the time that you're alive, take the gospel and give it to somebody else. Our job is to send the gospel into the next generation. That's, that's why we are here. What that means is practically when you're meeting with your Timothy, remind him or her that, that the things that you're doing with them, that, that you're training them up so that they'll start meeting with somebody else and start praying with them for them to be finding a Timothy. Always have the long-term generation in view. Discipleship requires that we not be an end in and of ourselves. But we're called to pass biblical truths on to the next generation who will give it to the next generation. So, supposed to each have a, a Paul, supposed to each have a Timothy, supposed to be doing this with, with long-term view in, in mind. So let's now think finally about the substance of our discipleship. So what, what's going on when we're getting together? What should we be doing? Well, look again at verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Paul tells Timothy that discipleship is about entrusting truths to the next generation. Paul had given it to, the truth to Timothy. Timothy gives the truth to the next person. If, if you have your Bibles, just flip over one page to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. If you don't, I'm just going to read these verses for you here. This summarizes a little bit about what discipleship was kind of like for, for Paul and Timothy. Paul speaking to Timothy says, You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, and what kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Do you notice even there when he gives the list at the end, he says, remember, it was the Lord who rescued? Timothy had been discipled by Paul. He'd heard the Scriptures taught. He'd, he'd watched Paul live out the Scriptures. Discipleship for Paul and Timothy was just like it was for Jesus and his disciples. It was a relationship where truth was both taught 
and caught. It was both taught and caught. It was, it was taught formally by reading through things or just explaining things, but it was also caught in the sense that, that Paul watched Timothy, or Timothy watched Paul. He watched how he lived his life, how he did ministry, how he shared the gospel, how he endured suffering, how he interacted with other people in the church. He was always watching him and learning lessons from him. That's, that's kind of what it's, it's about. So when you find your Timothy, spend time together. Spend time together. You can make it a formal meeting where, you know, once a week or every other week you, you have a particular meal or have a time where you go grab coffee or tea or whatever it is that you do. Or you can make it a regular time where, where you guys go into one another's homes and, and you study the scriptures together. Or you can make it, maybe for some of you ladies, you ladies can go and say, okay, Whatever day it's going to be, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to do our shopping together. And as we walk together, we're going to talk about what God's doing in our lives and, and how, we're, how we're either in our singleness or how we're doing with loving our husbands or how we're doing with pouring into our kids according to what the Scriptures say. It, it can look all kinds of different. Uh, there's no set pattern. In fact, that verse that we read earlier, the chapter from Deuteronomy 6, do you, you remember when it talked about what discipleship looked like in the home? It said when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He's talking about this is a lifestyle. That we are disciples. That's who we are living as disciples who are making disciples. And Jesus did this all the time in his ministry. I mean, he'd be out in the field and be like, see those birds? God takes care of them. And if he's going to take care of them, he's going to take care of you. See those flowers? God, God takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. Conviction just set in. Discipleship. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Living life together. Now, most people wonder, okay, what, what do we do? Three things. Word, prayer, response. Word, prayer, response, or, or obedience. These, these three things should characterize our discipleship together. Word. Make, make God's word central to your discipleship. Maybe you decide to read a chapter from the Gospel of John or the, the Book of Romans and then discuss it together. One of the things I love doing is, is taking, the, taking the, the, the Book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, 29 times it says, in Christ or in Him. It's helping us think about who our identity is in Christ. If we're a Christian, what does that mean? And then the last three chapters talk about how we live in light of that. Who we are, how we live. Or maybe you're going to... Take a, take a book that, that you take to your pastors and say, okay, is this a, would this be a good book, a good Christian book to read together and to talk about? Yeah. Then maybe you meet together and you read a chapter together each week or something like that and you talk about these things. God's Word should be central to our discipleship. Secondly, I'd say prayer. Make prayer a regular part of your discipleship. Maybe you and your Timothy get together and you pray through the membership directory. Where you go through and, and you pray for one another and the people that you've committed to. And then maybe you, you write a little encouraging note or you give somebody a call and just say, Hey, I want to let you know we prayed for you today. Is there anything, that we, anything else that we can pray about for you? Maybe share prayer requests about what's going on in your spiritual life. And not just like, you know, I pray that I'll, I'll get a job or, or that my job will go better. Those are, those are fine prayers and good prayers, but pray other kinds of prayers. Prayers like, pray that I'll, I'll love God more. Pray that I'll hate sin more. 
Pray that God would give me courage to share the gospel at, at, at work. Or, or pray that I, as a, as a husband, will, will love my wife as Christ of the church. Or, or as, as, a, as, a, as a wife, that, that I will trust my husband and show him respect. Or, or in my singleness, that I'll trust God and I won't be so discontent. Pray, pray heart prayers. Prayers that go after the heart. Ask God to give, to give grace. And then talk about how you all are doing in your response or your obedience. Talk with each other about how you're responding to God's word. And ask each other hard questions. And give, give honest answers. Ask hard questions and, and give honest answers. Like, how are you really doing with the time that God has given to you? Are you wasting it or are you investing in eternal relationships? Are you committed to the Great Commission? Are you, are you making disciples? How are you using your time? How about, how about your money? How are you doing with the money that God's given you? Could you open up your, your, your checkbook or your, your, your account registry and could you witness to somebody from that? Could they look at the way you spend your money and, and, and say, why, why do you invest in so many things that have nothing to do with this world? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How are you doing with, with money? How, how's your marriage? I've mentioned it a couple times, but, but husbands, be in one another's lives. How are you doing with, with loving your, your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you sacrificing for her? Are you serving her? Are you pouring into her? Are you patient with her? Are you gentle with her, with your words? Wives, are you, are you loving your husbands? Are you respecting them? Do you, do you kind of slander him a little bit when he's not around? Or do you constantly gripe to him? Or do you, are you praying for your husbands? I, I tell you how much it means to me, just as a man, that when my wife prays for me. Or even she just tells me, hey, I prayed for you today. Are you content? Are you grumbling and griping about your life? Are you rejoicing in things? How about Conflict. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? What's happened? Let's talk about that. Is there somebody that maybe you've offended that you need to go to? When are you going to do that? Or, or ask something like, if, if you were to stand before God right now, and all things were laid bare, is there anything that you wouldn't want exposed? Let's confess that. Let's repent that. And, and during these, these times when you're meeting together, you're not just hanging out, but you're, you're digging into each other's hearts and each other's lives, and you're stirring up the awareness that we need to be strengthened in Christ Jesus, that we need more grace. And we watch each other with the Gospel. And we remind each other of what Christ has done and how He is sufficient for whatever it is that we face. And we build each other up until the day that we see the Lord Jesus. Could you imagine... What, what, what if you had those kinds of questions regularly asked in your life? And you were asking those to somebody else. And you regularly had some, you guys were digging into each other's life. How, how different would your life look? Or imagine if this, this whole church did that. That that's what we did here. That we, we dug into one another's lives. Not in like this nosy, like, oh, I want to get some gossip. But like, I love you. And you love me because we're in Christ together. And let's help each other. 
Imagine what this would look like. Imagine that witness to this city. Now, I, I know that many of you will, will be in Dubai for maybe just a short time. Or you, you're maybe long-term here, and you know that people just kind of come and go. And there could be a very strong temptation for you to think, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to invest in somebody's life. I mean, they're, they're going to be gone soon. Or maybe you think, you know what, there's nobody here who's really like me. They, don't, they wouldn't understand me. They wouldn't understand my culture. They wouldn't understand where I've come from. Or, or maybe you've been burned before and hurt in a church. And I, I just, I want to encourage you to not listen to those lies. Let your time here be a time where God does serious business in your life. Where you let, where you open yourself up and you say, God, help me. Bring somebody else into my life and help me. And maybe, maybe this might just be the season that God would heal your marriage. That all these years you've been living like you're distant, but, but that God could, could heal your marriage here and now. That you just come and say, God, I want that. Change me. Or maybe you've been, you've been living with these scars and you've got secrets in your life. And you, this might be the time when you could just come and say, God, I need help. Here's my sin. Or here's, here's how I've been sinned against. And here's how I've been hurt. And God, I need grace. And you do that in relationships with each other. Let that be what this is about. Let this be a fork in the road. Let this, be, let this be a time in your life where you don't just kind of get by and try and make some money, but that you are here to grow in Christ and to help others grow in Christ. Because as I mentioned last week, I mean, like, the opportunity here is amazing. Because so what if you're here for two to three or four or five years? You're pouring into somebody for that amount of time and then they go back home and they take the gospel to somewhere that you could never go. It's how, it's how God reaches the world. Through a simple saying, I need His grace and I'm going to keep being strengthened by it and Lord, I'm willing bring somebody into my life to help me and God help me to find somebody to pour into and may we do that until Christ returns. So that's my final plea with you as a congregation. Is that you will be disciples that make disciples. That make God's word and prayer and your response to God's word central to what you talk about and how you live together. And that the gospel, it will strengthen you and refresh you. And that through that, you will see many more come to know Christ. And on that day, when we all stand before our Lord and we see what He did through us, that we would marvel and He would get all the praise. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we pray. We pray, Father, that that you would you would help us to be strengthened continually by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are in here this morning who are, who are like I was, just deceived and believing lie after lie after lie, that God, you might unveil their eyes to see the gospel of Christ, that they might turn from their sin and trust in Him. Lord, I pray even now that you might open someone's heart to respond to your word. And Father, I pray for those who do know you, God, that you might stir in them a passion for discipleship. 
That, we, that this would be a, a church that is, that is marked by members loving one another. And that for those who aren't members yet, that, that they see a love and that they're ministered to by, by this, just this congregation. God, I pray that this body would be one that loves one another. And that the world around would see and would hear of Christ through it. Bless them. Protect them. Strengthen their hands. In the name of Jesus. Amen.